Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world around us, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, wanting to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner Ravinder and our lovely chat room monitor Andrea await you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a wonderful chat room with some truly great folks that join us each week. So, Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yes, do come join us in the chat room. It is an amazing group of people and a whole wealth of information in there, actually. So that is at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Come contribute. Come just watch what we do. Um, ask your questions. We like to have you whatever you would like to do. All right. Now, you were late joining me, but you should know this. I learned that Andrea has the second one on the way. Oh, congratulations, Andrea. Now you just told the whole world. <laughs> well, of course I did, and everybody in the chat room as well. Congratulations, Andrea. Andrea's been a wonderful assistant for many, many years now. We're just thrilled for her. Now, this past week, I had the privilege of meeting with George Nury and his team in Boulder, Colorado. We filmed two episodes of George's Beyond Belief television show and discussed many things. Tom Danheiser, George's senior producer, arranged for George to come to our show and discuss the assassination of John F. Kennedy. George has educated himself on this event and possesses expert knowledge of what took place. A single shooter, I asked Tom? An emphatic no responded to my question. This promises to be a really great show, so be sure to watch our schedule for the date. I also met Guyam's TV producer, Jay Wiedner. We chatted about many things, but what really gained my total interest was Jay's assertion that many successful people fake their deaths to escape their lives. Other people simply change their identities. For example, Jay informed me that Alex Jones had been the comedian Bill Hicks. According to Jay, Bill disappeared and during that year made changes in his life, including his weight and voice. Now, we're talking some big-time conspiracy theories here. Is there really any truth to any of this? Well, Jay agreed to come to the show and offer up the full stories on these and many more allegedly dead and disappeared celebrities. So watch for that show as well. All right. In this week's Spotlight, we turn our attention to green groups going red. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, it seems that Mr. Putin and his buddies have been funneling money to the green groups in America who oppose fracking. The fact is, as America produces more oil and natural gas, the prices fall. And this hurts the Russian economy as well as the personal interest of Mr. Putin and his cronies. Reading from Investors.com, quote, Green groups frequently tar opponents as paid puppets of the fossil fuel industry. It's a hollow ad hominem attack that's often wrong. Worse, these groups accuse others of corruption, 
their partners are guilty of, close quote. Russian money, Putin money, coming in here to sell us propaganda. So how much of what we have heard about fracking is true? And how much of it is what Putin wants us to believe? Now, the Free Beacon reported, and once again I quote, a shadowy Bermudan company that has funneled tens of millions of dollars to anti-fracking environmentalist groups in the United States is run by executives with deep ties to Russian oil interests and offshore money, laundering schemes involving members of President Vladimir Putin's inner circle. Close quote. So, the next time you decide to be critical of oil and shale development in the United States, perhaps you should remember whose side you're teaming up with. Maybe take a look at What's being said, and I mean, there are forceful arguments on both sides of this matter, but if you're joining with the zealots, here's a word of caution. You're helping out Putin and his cronies, and not our European allies who also oppose the Russian money manipulation, leaving them at the mercy of Putin. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I find the whole thing fascinating. We're back to, you know... Um, just because something is repeated a lot doesn't make it true. Um, just because everyone around you agrees with something doesn't make it true. There is a great deal of propaganda out there, and that's how they get these, these this information as established truth. So people will say, hard line, global warming is real. Well, there are arguments against it, but it is so popular to say that it, it that that it's real. And if Putin is adding his two bits to the whole mix. Um, yeah, I find it fascinating. I, I don't know, the older I get, the less I trust anybody. You know, I think <laughs> That's a global, bad deal. Global warming is a fact. The question isn't whether or not there's a warming going on. The question is, is it a natural cycle yeah. or is it man-made? How, what is the contribution, etc.? I, I don't know what the, the solution is to either global warming or fracking. I, you know... Um, I'm sure that there are some real dangers involved and what's involved with fracking. On the other hand, um, how much of those, how many of those dangers that we've been told are really probable? Um, and, you know, if I'm making my decision, I definitely want to be informed of the fact that tens of millions of dollars, uh, Russian money, Putin's money, his cronies, have been have flooded our country with information designed to stop that development, stop it altogether, stop the oil development. After all, it's not good for the earth, you know. Let us do it over here for you, you know. So we have to buy it from them at their higher prices, and, and we don't their get economy remains strong as opposed to weak like today, and they can find another what extension of the Russian Empire by taking another piece of country somewhere. I don't know. All politics, but I do know this. We need to be informed about where the money comes from because that sets the agenda, and that should ought to tell us. It's time to be careful about jumping on board. I second that one. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Dr. Andrew Newberg was our guest during our last live show. Phyllis wrote, excellent interview with Dr. Newberg, thoroughly enjoyed it, and hope that he will return again in the near future. 
Thank you. CB remarked, love the show. Gives me great hope that there are folks looking into how to help individuals get a better grasp of who they are and how to better themselves rather than stripping more dollars out of them. Mark wrote, according to Dr. Andrew Newberg, we are fundamentally trapped within our own brains, looking out at an infinite universe, trying to do the best job we can to understand it. None of us ever knows for sure what's going on. All of us construct beliefs about everything which we hope work. According to Newberg, a belief, then, is a mental product that the brain constructs in order to make sense of the world. Because Newberg reduces belief to brain physiology, his definition of belief is incomplete. Consequently, I will have to reject his definition or at least put it on hold until he incorporates the mind into his methodology for studying such characteristics of the mind as belief. Denny wrote, love your radio shows. George wrote, I came across Dolan's mind programming book about a year ago. Since then, I have been using the subconscious mind tools to enhance my life. I want others in my country to have the opportunity to connect with Eldon and the Intertalk technology. Kelly wrote, hi, I just wanted to send you a heartfelt word of appreciation for your Intertalk programs. I began with a forgiving and letting go CD, and I still listen to it frequently if I'm feeling stressed out. I recently ordered the Lux CD and have begun listening to it on a regular basis. Your programs are the best. In the future, I plan on purchasing the opening, the Sixth Sense 2 CD series, and I can't help but get excited about what wonderful results I will have with that one. Thanks again so very much. Gary wrote, I just wanted to say thanks for all you do. I'm a big fan and user of your recordings and books. Jackie wrote, thank you again for all your hard work and for taking the time to educate us. You know I am a big fan and I love your work. You are such a blessing. Well, I want to thank all of you. It's lovely letters this week and the kinds of stories that you like to hear. Isn't that right, Ravinder? I do, and I will second that. You are such a blessing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I made you blush. <laughs> yeah, I'm really wondering what you're going to be asking me for about one of those phone mothers or phone calls to your mother again. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com. Or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly appreciate your feedback and support. Now to this week's show. The Spiritual Brain, a Neuroscientist Case for the Existence of the Soul with Dr. Mario Beauregard. I have his book right here in my hand. It is a great read. You're going to want to get a hold of this book. But... The idea of a soul is hotly debated among some, considered unscientific by mainstream academia and fraught with definitional ambiguities. Additionally, many of those supporting different definitions are obviously convinced that the others are wrong. Some of the popular notions regarding the soul include everything from it is the exclusive ultimate essence of humanity meaning, of course, that only humans have souls, while others insist that all life definitely is animated by a soul since it contains within it an original spark of God. Now, this all gets compounded with differentiations made by many between the soul and the spirit. For example, biblical scholars argue, and I quote, we know there is a difference between the soul, psyche, and the spirit, pneuma, by looking at Hebrews 4 and 12, where it is said, 
For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The spirit is always referred to as the immaterial part of man. Close quote. Generally speaking, then, for most Christians, the word spirit refers only to the immaterial facet of humanity, human beings having a spirit, but we are not spirits. The word soul can refer to both the immaterial and material aspects of humanity. Unlike human beings having a spirit, human beings are souls. In its most basic sense, the word soul therefore means life. Confused? Well, perhaps we can get today's guest to cast some light on the subject. Dr. Mario Beauregard is a neuroscientist currently affiliated with the Department of Psychology, University of Arizona. Dr. Beauregard is the author of more than 100 publications in neuroscience, psychology, and psychiatry. He was the first neuroscientist to use neuroimaging to investigate the neural underpinnings of voluntary control in relation to emotion. Significant contribution. Significant. Because of his research into the neuroscience of consciousness, he was selected in 2000 by the World Media Net to be one of the 100 pioneers of the 21st century. In addition, his groundbreaking research on the neurobiology of spiritual experiences has received international media coverage, and a documentary film has been produced about his work titled The Mystical Brain. He has also conducted extensive research on near-death experience. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Mario Beauregard. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me. It's indeed our pleasure. We like to establish three things in our interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, who is the messenger? What is the message and how do we use it? So to that end, if we may, please tell us about yourself. What were you like as a youngster? And how do you see yourself today? Still the same little boy in grown-up body with the same dreams? Or are you much different? Not much different. I was uh, mystically oriented uh, when I was young. Even though my my parents were farmers and they were, uh, you know, standard uh, Roman Catholics in uh, province of Quebec in Canada, but as for me, uh, I started to have uh, deep mystical insights when I was about eight years old regarding the relationship between uh, the mind, uh, the soul, and the brain. And I decided back then that I was going to become a, a scientist later on to try to elucidate uh, the, these very deep mysteries <clears throat> linking the mind, the brain, and the soul. And so I, I remained the same. That was the uh, the main motivation, and um, it's it's still uh, the main motivation today. Uh, however, uh, yeah, ahead, yeah I, I don't know why, uh, and my parents didn't understand this. But um, what happened after that is that I've had a series of, uh, of uh, spiritual experiences, including a near-death experience when I was um, uh, in my early 20s. Yeah, so... Tell us about that near-death experience in your early 20s. Yeah, I've been very, very sick. Uh, it took seven years 
to the, the doctors to discover what I had. I was uh, my brain was infected with uh, three different strains of viruses, and uh, I was very sick. I lay down in the bed for about a year. I was like uh, somebody suffering from terminal cancer or AIDS. And uh, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. So it took, uh, like I said, and uh, at the end, they, they discovered uh, the viruses, but um, created a lot of problems uh, physically. Uh, it was during this, uh, this illness that uh, at one point I became extremely sick and I lost uh, all my energy and I, I've had... Uh, a near-death experience. I've had the impression of uh, leaving my uh, physical body, and uh, I met with a beautiful uh, being of light, and um, I've experienced uh, several of the common features of uh, near-death experiences. Uh, I'm sure we'll discuss about it uh, later. We will. Yeah. We will for sure. So um you were still sick in your 20s did i understand yeah. that correctly yeah till, till it lasted overall lasted uh, 12 years so but wow. it's been a a transformative experience uh, uh, and uh i you know i i became uh, <laughs> uh convinced after that that the brain was not um, equal to the mind the mind is not what the brain does and it's even more true for spirit, you know, for spiritual matters. Um, so I, I decided to undertake certain type of uh, experiments to try to uh, to demonstrate this, to, to prove this, uh, which explains the work I've done with uh, uh, Carmelite nuns uh, during mystical states and also the, the work that I've done with uh, near-death experiencers. Yeah, Dr. Newberg last week spoke about the Carmelite nuns and some yes. of your work, Dr. Beauregard. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah I, I know you know him. Uh, and oh, yes. we'll get into that in great detail. You heard the setup piece. Mm-hmm. What's the yes. difference between the soul and the spirit? Or do you do you bother to make any such distinction? Well, in neuroscience, we don't do this uh, because we don't. Uh, these concepts are very subtle and what we're doing in neuroscience is that we're try- we're using brain imaging uh, techniques to uh, record brain activity, for instance. So, whenever there's a, a change in the mental state, uh, can be a, you know an emotion, or, but it can be also a spiritual uh, experience. Uh, we measure with our tools. We measure changes in the brain, so we establish what we call correlations. Uh, but so now, that, that's this, the I limit of the enterprise. I don't mean to interrupt you, but so I'm going to talk to you today as two people, if I may. Yes. There, there is Mario Beauregard, the human being, uh-huh. who had an NDE, yes. and there is Dr. Mario Beauregard, right. uh, <laughs> professor at Arizona mm-hmm. State University, okay? Mm-hmm. Or the University of Arizona. All right. So I'm asking you personally, uh-huh. uh, do you draw a distinction at all between soul and spirit? I know that fMRI doesn't do any such no, thing. No, but no, no. You. Well, the, to me, the, the soul is the uh, is like the, the the spiritual spark of the individual. Um, yeah, the parcel of God that uh, abides within us. See, the reason I ask is there is some research now that indicates. Mm-hmm. Uh, very great similarity in animals 
yes. uh, by way of brain function uh-huh. with what we you know what we see when we're watching an NDE or we're watching a REM mm-hmm. activity. So I, I I guess and I know that you can as a scientist address this because there's no mm-hmm. way to know. But as a human being, one who had an NDE. Uh, where do you come in on animals, perhaps, um, you know, surviving? Well, the, Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, the, well, uh, I've had also uh, several uh, mystical experiences, and in these experiences, uh, I realized that there was a deep unity, a deep, uh, pr- very basic principle underlying everything in the universe, including animals. And uh, so to me, the, the spark I'm talking about animals have that too but at their own level uh, it's it's a bit different than humans but still there's a they have a spiritual essence as well cool i like that answer i believe that as well so you do you know yeah. i do most definitely and, and and the people that i've spoken to and we talked to a lot of nde experiencers uh-huh. uh, many of them have you know their first encounter has been with an animal friend yeah, that's right. Uh, on the yes. other side. So, mm-hmm. all right. We have discussed the merger of science and spirituality, sir, on this show many times mm-hmm. with several who possess impeccable credentials like yourself, and they have almost unanimously informed us that there is an academic price to pay for this work. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. You want to flesh that out for us? I mean, sometimes it's tenor, sometimes it's ostracism. Mm-hmm. What have you experienced? Well, it happened to me. I was uh, I spent 15 years at the University of Montreal in, in Montreal, and uh, uh, my uh, tenure was rejected based on what I wrote or what I said publicly about uh, the relationship between mind and brain, and also spirituality. Uh, the uh, the the guys who uh, directed the uh, the medical school at University of Montreal didn't like my approach because they were reductive materialists and atheists and because of that uh, well it cost me dearly so that's why now I'm affiliated with the University of Arizona it was not a choice <laughs> I didn't I, I was forced to uh, to move after 15 years uh, so there it's true that there's still uh, a price to pay uh, uh, it's it's dangerous because the there's a like a, a central dogma in our field, especially in neuroscience, because this it's um, it's this field of research uh, relates to you know the relationship between the mind and brain, and also the uh, spiritual experiences, the soul, and so on and so forth. And the central dogma is that uh, mind and spirit and soul are what the brain does. So if you don't um, agree with this, it's very dangerous for you. But nobody will tell you that very uh, overtly like I'm, I'm doing, but you, you can tell. You learn that, uh, you know, after a while. And uh, it's, it's still like that, but now, nowadays uh, more and more maverick scientists like myself uh, dare to challenge openly this, this grand dogma of uh, neuroscience, and which is... Which is uh, uh, atheist, atheism and materialism, uh, yeah. you know, essentially. Right. We, you know, I, I had the great pleasure in researching you, sir, looking at several of your papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and they are very well written. And uh, the only thing I can say is, you know, I'm a fellow in the American Psychotherapy Association. <laughs> I want to welcome you to the States. I'm glad you're here. You know, it's yeah. their loss and, and our gain. We uh, have a break coming up in about 10 seconds. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about a couple things in your paper, The Primordial Psyche, that I finished uh, last evening. Uh, So if you're prepared to do that. We're speaking with Dr. Mario Beauregard about his life, work, and book, The Spiritual Brain, a neuroscientist case for the existence of the soul. To learn more about Dr. Beauregard, visit his website at drmariobeauregard.com. That's one word, D-R-M-A-R-I-O-B-E-A-U-R-E-G-A-R-D, drmariobeauregard.com. Okay, remember to join Ravinder and Andrea in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. It's not your fault until you know better. Self-defeating, self-sabotaging thoughts can be eliminated. It may be difficult to accept, but the fact is magnetic resonance imaging shows us that your subconscious mind makes almost all of your decisions, while your conscious mind makes up reasons to explain your choices. In order to rid yourself of those self-defeating thoughts and ideas, the fear and doubt that can hold you back, you must change the way you talk to yourself. Nothing does this faster or better than our patented inner talk technology. Scientifically proven effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies, inner talk has repeatedly been demonstrated effective. Change has never been easier. Now you can improve your life almost automatically by rewriting the scripts hidden away in your subconscious. Guaranteed to work. No reason to wait. So don't delay. Go to innertalk.com today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Mario Beauregard about his life, work, and new book, The Spiritual Brain, A Neuroscientist's Case for the Existence of the Soul. Now, we ask our guests for three pieces of music, three of their favorites, music that has some truly special significance, real meaning to them. Music impacts us all in many ways. It can awaken old memories and has even restored lost states of consciousness. Music affects our attention, memory, performance, and our choices of music have been linked to many personality traits. So there can be a great deal of self-disclosure in the selection of one's favorite music. Okay, we just played Break On Through to the Other Side by the Doors. Why is this one special to you, Dr. Beauregard, and how does it tell us about who you are? Well, because I've always been uh, an explorer of the... uh the doors of perception, and uh, uh, Jim Morrison uh, chose the uh, the name of the band uh, after reading uh, Aldous Huxley, his famous book, The Doors of Perception, and that's what we're talking about uh, when we speak of uh, spiritual experiences, transcendent experiences, and so on, so near-death experiences, we're talking about breaking through to the uh, the other side, so... This is the re- the main reason why I I chose this uh, this piece of music. So it's a, it's a natural high that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I could pass on that one. That's all there was to it. Uh, before the break, I suggested to you one of the things I enjoyed most about researching your work for this show uh, was your research papers, and particularly the primordial psyche. In this paper, you propose that psyche plays a role as primordial as that of matter, energy, and time-space. Further, if I understand you correctly, you insist that materialistic reductionism therefore fails to account for anomalous phenomena for precisely this reason. Please unpack your ideas regarding this for our audience and introduce your top theory, the theory of mm-hmm. of. Uh, Psychoelementarity. Yes. Um, well, uh, it's based on a variety of uh, empirical evidence, you know, many, many evidence. So the first interesting line of evidence is the fact that um, according to, to materialist theories, um, if the mind is what the brain does, then the mind is, uh, is ultimately powerless. But that's not what we're seeing. Uh, uh, in my field of research, because in neuroscience, uh, with the advent of uh, brain imaging technology, we've uh, conducted, uh, you know, several hundreds or thousands of experiments during the last few decades, and many of these experiments demonstrate that what we call the mind or, or the, the psyche, for instance, our our thoughts, our emotions, our beliefs, even though they are non-physical, uh, they don't have... Uh, a weight or a, ma- a mass, a, a volume, but still they can exert a tremendous impact on what's going on in the brain, not only from a, a functional point of view, but it can also alter the uh, even the structure of the brain in terms of uh, gray matter and, and white matter. Now we have evidence of this. So, for instance, if you take the case of the uh, the so-called placebo effect, it's a phenomenon that is based essentially on the uh, the beliefs and the expectations that somebody uh, has with regard to uh, 
uh, medication can be a drug, for instance, that, that is non-effective from a medical point of view. So, so some uh, very interesting experiments have been done during the last uh, 10, 12 years. And one of these studies for, uh, in particular showed that if you give a placebo to patients suffering from Parkinson's disease, for instance, and in this uh, disease there's a, a destruction, a very significant destruction of the neurons, the nerve cells in the brain producing a chemical messenger that is called uh, dopamine. Dopamine is the, the, the key mes uh, messenger with regard to uh, motor activity. It's also involved in many different uh, functions uh, as well. But in, in that particular study, the, uh, the neurologist told uh, the, part, the, the patients that the, uh, they had found uh, a very a new revolutionary drug, and the drug was only uh, saline water that was injected intravenously. And the patients who most uh, believed in the uh, placebo uh, treatment, the fake treatment, they started to produce in their brains uh, amounts of uh, dopamine comparable to what we see in young, healthy people in their 20s, for instance. And uh, at the same time, their, uh, their symptoms, for instance, their tremors, uh, significantly decreased. So, so this this study, and there are many other studies as well, uh, they, uh, they, they tell us that what we believe can be extremely powerful and can transform uh, the brain. So that's that's the first uh, point of my theory. It's that the uh, the psyche acts as a force within the brain and the body. That's the first point. The second point that is very important is that the, the psyche is not produced by the brain because it can exert what we call a non-local effect. This means that uh, it can exert an impact beyond the confines of the brain and the body. And this is well demonstrated by uh, studies uh, showing that you can mentally uh, influence, affect uh, an electronic system, for instance, a random number generator that is based on uh, quantum uh, processes. And you can do this at a distance. And uh, the same thing is seen with regard to uh, biological systems. So, for instance, you can influence um, the so-called behavior of certain types of, uh, uh, you know, microorganisms, for instance, mm -hmm. bacteria, uh, mentally at a distance. And you can also, we uh, humans, have the uh, potential to influence other beings, other human beings at a uh, distance. So we can exert what we call a non-local effect mentally. Uh, right. So that's it. that's another very important piece of uh, evidence. The third one is the fact that some near-death experience, uh, and by near-death experience I mean the uh, conscious mental activity, like thoughts or reasoning, uh, memory, perception, and so on and so forth. So the, these mental processes can happen when people are clinically dead and that their heart is not functioning. Now, when the heart stops, usually the, the blood flow to the brain will cease within uh, 10 to 15 seconds. And if you're measuring the electrical activity of the brain, then the, uh, the what we call the EEG line will become, very, uh, will become totally flat very rapidly. And according to mainstream neuroscience, in that kind of state, in principle, there shouldn't be any uh, mental activity. Yet, 
during the last 13 years, uh, there has been uh, five different studies conducted uh, in the U.S., but also in Europe. Uh, and these studies have documented over 120 patients uh, reporting mental activity while their heart was not and their brain were not uh, functioning at all. So this means that the brain acts as a kind of interface for what we call mind and uh, consciousness or the, the, the psyche. So, for instance, you can we can use a, an uh, analogy with uh, a TV set. So if you alter the electronic components within the TV set, you will distort the reception of the information, for instance, the, uh, the images or the, the sound. And, but if you do that, that doesn't mean that the program itself, the images and the sounds are contained or produced within the, uh, the TV set itself. And it doesn't change anything to the program, you know, if you do this. So we can use uh, the same kind of analogy uh, with relation to uh, mind and brain, I believe. I, I find your argument very powerful, and uh, you know I've done a fair amount of research on placebos myself. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and indeed, I, there was a study just—I uh, I believe I read this just a couple of weeks ago or less—where uh, uh, cigarette smokers were divided into two groups. You probably know this study. Mm -hmm. One group uh, was given a new cigarette on a taste test, and the other group was told this is a cigarette that's nicotine-free. Uh, fMRI indicated that the group that believed the nicotine they were smoking a nicotine free cigarette uh, the re the reward pathway just simply was inactive uh, they they failed to respond to it uh, as you would expect an addictive substance to respond so and, and they are uh, the argument behind this arg article was this goes beyond the placebo effect this isn't just um, an expectation that I, my body is going to do something. But to me, it seems like it is really just a clarification of, a, of the placebo mm -hmm. effect. We're just beginning to understand yeah. that there is a power there we really should be working at harnessing, maybe spending as much money on as Big Pharma spends on the drugs. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah, and, and the way I explain this phenomenon uh, in my theory is simply that what happens at the uh, at the mind level is translated at the brain level. So it means that, for instance, a belief or a thought or an emotion is translated uh, electrically and chemically within uh, the brain. And uh, we know also that the brain uh, is connected to all the major physiological systems in the body, like the immune system or the endocrine system, which means that every time there's a change at at the mental level, there will be uh, some influence uh, in the, all the physiological systems that are connected to uh, the brain. And um, the late Candace Burt uh, talked about this. She used the, the term uh, psychosomatic network mm -hmm. to describe the, this kind of phenomenon. Right. All right, you have me kind of split here. I want to go two directions at the same time. I don't want to drop the NDE work. I, that, sure. That's important. I want to go over to that. But while we're on your paper, there was something I have to ask you about. Yes. We've hosted a number of physicists on this show, maybe because I've got a family full of physicists. Mm -hmm. And on page 133 of your article, you state, and I quote, 
the physicist and the method used for observation are somehow linked, and the results of the observation seem to be influenced by the observer's conscious intent. Close quote. Now, I, I spoke with Fred Allen Wolf recently. Now, he's probably the best-known physicist to argue that quantum physics offers evidence of the supernatural. Right. And even he agreed with me that the so-called evidence of this nature is speculative. Mm-hmm. So my question, sir, is it really the intent that influences the outcome of the experiment you refer to, or is it really just a matter of the experimental design that produces that outcome? I mean, in other words, take yeah. the wave-particle duality. We All set right. up the experiment to see mm-hmm. a wave or to see a particle. Mm-hmm. Please. Yes. So this, uh, perhaps uh, Fred Allen Wolf is not aware of this, but recently uh, there's a... Uh, an engineer and a psychologist, uh, Dean Radin, he is very well known for his work. Yeah. He tested this experimentally. And uh, so uh, the the subjects in the experiments, uh, they were trying to alter the outputs of what was recorded by a sophisticated uh, uh, physical machine, an optical uh, system uh, that was measuring the so-called behavior of photons, you know, light mm-hmm. particles. And he, he found significant data you know, supporting this view. But I agree with uh, Fred Allen Wolf in the sense that this, this so-called um, you know, observer effect in um, quantum physics, it represents only one possible interpretation of a certain type of phenomenon. And many, many physicists do not agree with this kind of uh, Interpretation. They prefer to explain this phenomenon uh, using other kinds of um, hypotheses. But now there seems to be some um, uh, empirical support uh, with regard to this uh, interpretation of quantum mechanics, which is very interesting. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that paper that you're talking about by Raiden. Mm-hmm. I'll have to. I'll check that one out. Yes. Thanks. Yes. That's, please. That's good. Yeah. Okay, let's let's jump back now to the NDEs if we can. I, mm-hmm. I want to speak to you, obviously, about a variety of subjects that you are so well qualified to approach. Uh, but your bio states that you've done extensive work in this area. Sure, yes. So what sort of work and what are your conclusions? I mean, we've hosted people that say, you know, uh, Nelson, Kevin Nelson, in case in oh, yeah, point, yeah. peer-reviewed document, well-written, uh, that says it's a REM activity, although I'll give Kevin this. He did agree on our show that his hypothesis didn't necessarily cover all NDEs. No. Nevertheless, the dying brain and da-da, you know the whole story. Yes, Where, what is your take there? What is What is your research shown? Well, uh, I've studied the cases when the... Uh the NDE is triggered uh, during a cardiac arrest. And the, this particular uh, case or, or, of NDEs is very important for uh, neuroscientists like myself because when there's a cardiac arrest, like I said before, the uh, electrical activity within the brain will vanish uh, very rapidly after 10 to 20 seconds usually. And so we, we're not able with the actual technology to detect any uh, signs of brain activity in that kind of state. Now, like I said, uh, we have uh, five different studies uh, conducted during the last 13 years, I believe, 
which demonstrated uh, the possibility of conscious mental activity during this kind of state. So th this very significantly suggests that uh, what we call mind and consciousness are not produced uh, by the brain, for me. So you're convinced that NDEs are real, and or yes. are you saying that yes. um, consciousness is independent? I mean, because there's two possibilities here, isn't there? Mm -hmm. I mean, consciousness could be a non-local, and, and evidence mm -hmm. says it is, as you've, you've pointed out, yes. a non-local event. Uh, we're participating in consciousness, but that could be in a collective form, as you might have addressed, uh -huh. or it could be some individual aspect, as we find in the mystical literature, that somehow then merges to some larger collective. But right. but are we talking about a soul when we're talking about consciousness then? Are we making that equation, or are we making it... Can we distinguish between an afterlife with a soul, a divine creator, and the survival of of consciousness is 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 it fair to look for a, dis, a distinction there well scientifically not not yet but at at least we know uh, a few things about this uh usually um NDEs do not last very long they last for a few minutes uh and because we try to reanimate uh, the, the the patients as fast as possible uh because there may be uh you know uh problems with the brain after death, when the the neurons lack blood and oxygen for several minutes, usually uh, ten minutes and more, uh, there will be uh, important uh, cognitive deficits after that, in uh, with regard to uh, attention, memory, uh, language, and so on and so forth. But now we have cases of people who've been clinically dead for, for instance, forty-five minutes which is very interesting. A case like that occurred in, uh, I think it was in Ohio last year. And mm -hmm. uh, what's fascinating is that there was no uh, no cognitive deficit whatsoever uh, in this guy uh, after he was uh, reanimated. Uh, and when he was reanimated, uh, he was already blue and cold. Uh, and uh, the medical... Uh, team had uh, surrendered after about uh, ten minutes of trying, and but so so the, these um, the, this kind of phenomenon cannot be explained yet within the uh, the medical realm. You know, we cannot use physical explanations for that because it, in principle, this should not be possible because neurons die. Uh, uh, all neurons are supposed to die uh, if they are not uh, receiving. Uh, oxygenation through the blood after 10, 12 minutes. So we don't know how to interpret this, but th these uh, these cases seem to indicate that there's a an intervention from a spiritual realm, if you will. Well, there's definitely something going on we don't understand, and it oh, definitely yeah, takes that uh, reductionist, uh, materialistic mm -hmm. perspective and shatters it to anyone oh, yeah. that's willing to open their mind. No <laughs> question about that. Let me ask you this one. We have a break coming up here in about three mm -hmm. minutes, but tell us about God in our genes, because in your new book you discuss the God gene. Yes, because uh, we, yes, some uh, geneticists, uh, molecular geneticists, um, 
are uh, trying to reduce all aspects of human uh, functions, human behaviors, uh, to to the activity of genes. And uh, so, again, that's the same kind of um, uh, reductive materialist stance that they are using. Uh, and um, so uh, one of the geneticists, uh, Dean Hammer, uh, he's, uh, he was working at the NIH, uh, he wrote. He published studies about you know the influence of genes. So he tried to to reduce uh, ultimately uh, spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs to the activity of certain genes. Uh, but this is very problematic because now we know that every uh, single human uh, function uh, it's very very complicated because one function uh, it can be a behavioral function. It's related to thousands of genes in interaction, you know. So, so it's not possible to strictly reduce one function to uh, one gene. So that's the first uh, problem with this kind of approach. And the second problem is that to be associated to uh, with, for instance, uh, some differences in terms of genes doesn't mean that the genes themselves are creating uh, the function. It's a bit uh, same thing with regard to the uh, relationship between mind and brain, for instance. So we have to be cautious about that. And this particular uh, geneticist, Dean Ammer, um, in his uh, latest uh, writings, uh, apologized for his uh, <laughs> to uh, you know to, to his reductionist uh, stance uh, of that time. Uh, and so he d- he doesn't believe. Uh, what he wrote several years ago anymore. Uh, he changed his mind about this, this question. So genetically, you are saying we are predisposed well, toward religious experience? or Well, he found certain genes that, seems, that seem to be related to uh, the tendency to believe in the uh, right. Right. religion, you know, spiritual beliefs or religion and so yeah so, some genes might uh, predispose us to uh, to believe but doesn't mean that you can reduce all the the, the uh, spiritual to you know the activity of genetics. genes yes that's right on the other hand you know, there's a chicken and an egg kind of mm-hmm. deal here you know the brain is hardwired to believe in god we'll discuss that after the mm-hmm. break the body seems to be hardwired to believe in so where we mm-hmm. created and that's our reminder of where we came from or you know is there some environmental some darwinian trick going on here that gives rise to our socialization we'll discuss that with dr beauregard when we come back from this next break if you'd like to know more about our guest and his work visit his website DrMarioBeauregard.com. Now, we have a video for you during the break of Dr. Beauregard discussing in front of the United Nations the barriers to the scientific study of consciousness and spirituality. You can check it out by joining the chat room. Just go to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. 
Inner talk works by priming how you talk to yourself, and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals, anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Mario Beauregard about the spiritual brain. Now, Dr. Beauregard, we just played uh, your second musical choice, We Will Rock You by Queen. So tell us, why is this one special to you? Well, it's it's related to my uh, latest book titled Brain Wars. Uh, It's about um, the conflict between um, the emerging post-materialist paradigm and the old uh, agonizing, uh, you know, materialist uh, worldview uh, within uh, science. And so uh, we're now at a time uh, when it's necessary for us, post-materialist scientists, to rock the, uh, the building, the old structure of the, uh, the old guard, the, the, the materialist scientists. And because we have now enough evidence to let go of this uh, old, uh, obsolete uh, paradigm. You know, I really love it when people do their research and they've chosen their music. And they, you know, <laughs> that is so good. Listen, uh, I didn't know about your other book. I, I expect yeah. you're going to send me a signed copy and come back on the show oh. again. Is that right? Uh, I did send you a copy. Well, I didn't get it. A few no. months ago. Oh, oh. really? Oh. Well, I... <laughs> No, I missed that one, but I definitely will search it out, and I definitely will uh, be talking to you again about coming back. Listen, 
before we leave MDEs and go on to uh-huh. some other material yeah. in your book, uh, one NDE researcher claims that NDE experiencers, as, the, as they're called, mm-hmm. often come back with higher IQs, genius IQs, even IQs over 200. Now, you know, I've challenged, I, I, I'd really like to see this information. Are you personally aware of any factual cases of this sort? And if so, can you share the detail with me? Yeah, I am not. And I have investigated hundreds of uh, near-death experiences, but uh, I've never seen this uh, phenomenon. Not yet. No. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> moving on then. Let's let's talk about your book. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned earlier, last week we had uh, Dr. Andrew Newberg on. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he believes that we interpret experiences in what one might call spiritual might not be the same thing to all people. So you must have, you must have personally defined a spiritual experience when you were working on your book, uh, before you chose to conclude that the brain is actually generating them. Please share with us, what is your definition of a spiritual experience? Well, it's a contact with, um, well, for me, it's a, it's a contact with the, uh, the basic uh, or the ultimate principle underlying everything in the universe. Okay. So is a levels. negative NDE a spiritual experience? I mean, we have yeah. NDE accounts of folks that come back and, they, you know, their life changes because mm-hmm. they saw something. They said, I don't want any part of that, but it was terrifying to them. It was, you know. Well, uh, I think also in spiritual experiences, you, you, you have a gradation. You have multiple levels. So that's that's like the uh, the ultimate level, but you have uh, lower levels like uh, encounter with deceased people and friends, for instance. So that's that's one instance, and you have the same thing, but uh, uh, in the other polarity, you have uh, encounter with so-called negative uh, spiritual entities, uh, and this happens to about three percent of the uh, experiencers, and. Um, for, for some of them, uh, the explanation is very simple. They, re, they, they refuse to die physically. They don't want to let go. Uh, and when they do that, the, uh, the experience is uh, automatically uh, negative. Uh, it becomes very negative and frightening from a subjective point of view. Um, but it's not negative in the absolute, you know. So that's, that's one type of uh, so-called negative experience. But the, the other type or subtype is the encounter with uh, what appears to be uh, negative spiritual uh, entities. Some people call them uh, demons, demonic entities. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare. It doesn't happen very, uh, very often. But so technically, I, I suppose if there is evil, we can argue that there must be good. So is that what makes a possession or a negative NDE <laughs> a spiritual mm-hmm. experience? Well, we don't we don't know a lot about this yet, so uh, it's still open uh, with regard to uh, scientific investigation. We don't know. Well, I, I, I concur that. I mean, that's not something that you're going to be able to demonstrate with an fMRI, but it does beg no. the question. Yes, uh, and that question is uh, if there are negative NDEs. We must account for these so-called demons, as you point out. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And in accounting for those demons, we're going to have to come up with some good, bad scenario. Some call wars in heaven, the yes. devil, and and uh-huh. and you know that takes on a whole different perspective or level of metaphysics mm-hmm. that um, I think is just as worthy of inquiry as the rest of it. In other words, we can't discount that, in my view, sir. Uh, any more than the materialist can discount the anomalous findings that indicate, you know, mind is not a local event, say. Mm-hmm. Does that make I, sense? I, I, oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you uh, with regard to uh, this issue. It's it's very important. All right. Well, we will rock them. I love. I love that. I, <laughs> I've personally done a fair amount of research on the so-called God helmet, invented oh, yeah, by yeah. Stanley Corrin. Now, most folks give that to Michael Persinger, but he didn't invent it. He just popularized it, and he, he brought a lot of notoriety to it because of the television documentaries that were done. Yes. Yes. I bought one of the devices because they oh, yeah. oh. weren't willing to let me just experiment with it. So, you know, I brought it in for research purposes, and I must admit that I was sorely disappointed. In fact, uh, Dawkins' account of what he experienced was basically mine, a, a slight bit of dizziness. Yeah. Otherwise, it was just a vacant experience. Now, I've written about the helmet in my own books, and one of the reviewers pointed out to me that Persinger's work has persistently failed in mm-hmm. replication attempts. You have a chapter in your new book on the God Helmet. What is your take on this device? Well, I, I met several people who uh, participated as uh, subjects in Persinger's experiments, and they never experienced anything. And um, um, I know that Persinger uh, usually uh, selects uh, his students or psychology students. He, he's uh, teaching at the uh, psychology department at Laurentian University in uh, Ontario. Right. And so if the uh, the students accept to participate in the experiments, they get better grades. So that's that's a bias right there. He also used a scale, a uh, suggestibility scale, to recruit uh, his subjects. So he, he's uh, recruiting uh, more suggestible uh, students, and that's another bias. And uh, the other problem is that he's not conducting his uh, experiments using a double-blind uh, approach. So the experimenters know in advance, you know, uh, which students belong to which group and so on and so forth. So, And he also he's claiming that he's changing the electrical activity within a region of the brain that is called the, the temporal lobe. But he's not using any brain imaging technology to, um, to make sure that this, it is uh, indeed the case. So uh, several years ago, a group of Swedish researchers in Uppsala, in Sweden, uh, they were led by Per Granvist, a uh, research psychologist, and they um, attempted to replicate uh, Persinger's findings. And they, uh, they borrowed uh, uh, an helmet from Persinger's lab. They used exactly the same parameters, but this time they controlled for uh, possible placebo effects, so they were using a double-blind uh, approach. Uh, they were not recruiting also students who were more suggestible uh, they were, uh, because for them it was uh, bad science. And so they controlled for various uh, factors, and in the end, they didn't find any significant effect. So, you know, it's not very convincing. Uh, and uh, another problem is the fact that Persinger is a self-avowed uh, 
materialist uh, atheists, you know, and he's trying to disprove um, the existence of God, and for him, religion and spirituality are what he calls uh, a cognitive virus. Right. Um, so, you know, this is an important bias. It is. We yeah. need the the agenda is just as important mm-hmm. as uh, yes. uh, the messenger. And yeah. but you know, of course, for our audience uh, uh, out there, yeah. Yeah. go ahead. About, about this, some people could say exactly the same thing uh, about me, because they would say that since I've had uh, spiritual experiences when I was young, uh, this biased my, uh, my career, my scientific uh, work. Uh, in one way, this is true, because I was influenced by this. But however, what I'm saying is that I think it's possible to use um, the scientific method in a, uh, in a very neutral way, in an objective way as much as possible. Because first and foremost, it is the method of, invest- of investigation of reality. Um, and I, I think it's possible to, to do this. Other than perhaps our participation in some doc squad, we're mm-hmm. all motivated to do the research that we of choose course. to do for some yes. personal reason. So oh, yeah. that doesn't disqualify the research. No. I, no. I think, you know, the suggestibility uh, notion of Persinger's was a thing that really caught my eye simply mm-hmm. because, you know, suggestibility is something the stage hypnotist is going to use. He's got his own little techniques. You're not going to answer a written form. He's just going to have you do an arm levitation and pretend uh-huh. to, you know, and then he's going to choose the person that's going to be the dog or the chicken or whatever else on the stage. So uh, huge influence there. One of my favorite subjects today is the notion of mind at a distance. And you have a chapter dealing with the differentiation between mind and brain, and we've discussed this a little bit uh, already. You know, Descartes, I think, set up this uh, duality, and, you know, that argument rages today. Um, and, And I think you've given us some good evidence for the mind as being or some level of consciousness as being independent from Mm -hmm. the organ brain. But my question is really, it it goes to this, and I guess I have to back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you were to take glial cells, uh, use a tongue depressor, remove some glial cells, and split them into two different Petri dishes, Mm-hmm. Take one Petri dish away from the lab. Uh, you know, I've heard you can take it as far as five miles, but just take it outside the lab down on the sidewalk. Deliver electrical shock to the glial cells in the Petri dish in the lab, and the glial cells in the Petri dish on the sidewalk outside the building will respond as though they were being shocked simultaneously. That gives rise to questioning, what is consciousness? I mean, is consciousness itself, if if the cells of the body are conscious in this way, uh, how do you see consciousness? What What is consciousness? Well, it, consciousness, the, the, the basic definition used by most neuroscientists, is it's related to awareness, being aware of, what's going on internally uh, inside the, the body and ma- mentally and also outside of, of the body uh, with regard to the uh, environment. Uh, so that's the most basic definition. And it seems to be, uh, it seems to be uh, a function or a property that is uh, 
universal across uh, species biologically, because we see that in animals at you know, to, to various degrees, and mm-hmm. um, uh, some even some some uh, you know particle physicists uh, cl- even claim that uh, they see signs of awareness at the the quantum level. So it's possible that uh, you know it's uh, a, a universal property that you find in the, uh, the the entire cosmos. A lie detection examiner by the name of Cleve Baxter. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. You, you know about his studies with plants, right. the philodendron, mm-hmm. etc. Shows us, you know, that the plants aren't just conscious; they actually have recognition skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, the perpetrator that uh, dropped the goldfish in the mm-hmm. um, the boiling water, as a case in point, was identified at least by Galvo readings by the philodendron every time this perpetrator passed through the room. Yes. So, at, at some level, if we see consciousness as permeating the universe as it's you know i i guess my question is more a metaphysical question to you personally uh than it is a scientific question but you know the stories are all whether it's the big bang or it's what we read in the bahir genesis or uh, the Mm -hmm. vedas in the beginning there's singularity singularity somehow divides itself in the beginning Mm -hmm. there's god which is singularity reflects on himself divides himself and all things exist zero divided by zero kind of proposition if 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 from a metaphysical perspective sir do you think that consciousness is the representation of whatever singularity really is well it's uh, in my view it's one of the main properties of this uh, singularity or i would say uh, of being or phenomenon but uh, yeah it's it's one of the main attributes of this and uh, and so i agree with uh, the vedas for instance that um, it's a, it's a very important feature and this feature seems to be uh, universal to various degrees. Yeah, and it's rather breathtaking. I, I stop <laughs> in awe when I yeah. think about that. It's just, it's rather <laughs> breathtaking. Yeah. I, you know, I love that you're willing to talk about the hard subjects, both personally and professionally. Uh-huh. I, I, I want you to know I sincerely appreciate that. There are those that come on the show that won't take down the armor of their mm-hmm. academic environment. And there are those who haven't got a clue what really goes on that will tell you anything. So, but I want, I want to, I, I want to personally thank you for being willing to take on these subjects. Now, in your book, you take them on as well. For example, yeah. you discuss free will. And that's a biggie today because. Oh, yeah. FMRI shows us that a technician watching your brain lifetime can know what you're going to decide some six seconds before we consciously know what we're going to decide. And it appears that our nucleus accumbens makes about 90% of our decisions. So a lot of those things we might fool ourselves into believing we're deciding, like, well, am I going to have that chocolate or not? That's already been decided in the unconscious or subconscious, whichever you prefer. So what exactly is free will, doctor? And, and, and what sort of free will do we really have, if any? Well, it's not absolutely free because we have to take into account all the other variables, all the factors implicated. And so, you know, 
brain act- neural activity, you have the genes, you have the uh, external world and the culture and so on and so forth. So it's not absolutely free. But what, what um, we have demonstrated, at least in my lab, but also in other labs, is that under certain conditions, you can definitely affect uh, inten- intentionally and consciously uh, what's going on in various parts of, of the brain. And this is well demonstrated, uh, for instance, uh, using uh, a technique that is called neurofeedback. In this technique, you, uh, the, the subjects learn to control the uh, neural activity of specific regions of their brain, for instance. And they can learn this uh, very rapidly. So they receive a reward. It's, so, the, uh, for instance, the electrical activity uh, that is recorded uh, via electrodes on the scalp it's connected to a video game. And so whenever you are uh, in control and you are producing the, uh, the, the, target, uh, uh, the target neural activity, uh, the video game is uh, playing. So there's an animation. And, and when you go outside, you, you lose uh, your focus and you're not in control anymore, the, the, game, uh, the video game stops completely. And so that's how you can learn very rapidly how to self-regulate your own uh, brain activity. So that's one example where we can definitely uh, uh, exert uh, intentionally uh, an action, an influence over uh, the brain. And um, I've also studied uh, what we call emotion regulation. It's our capacity to influence uh, how we respond uh, and how we process information from an emotional perspective. For, so, for instance, you can present uh, emotionally laden pictures to somebody who is lying down in a, in a scanner, and you can measure the, the reaction of the various regions of the brain, the emotional regions of the brain. And uh, so that's one condition. In another condition, you will ask uh, the, the same subjects to watch similar pictures but now they have to, for instance, take a distance uh, emotionally from the, the pictures and their own uh, subjective feelings. So you can take, uh, I've done the first study uh, uh, using this kind of uh, paradigm. You, know, you should have and, had tenor uh, over this, this work alone. Yeah, and, and uh, I used uh, sexual uh, pictures, uh, erotic film clips. Uh, also, and uh, so we showed that people who do not have any expertise with regard to self-regulation or mindfulness meditation, they can learn to control uh, the response of the uh, emotional portions of the brain very rapidly. It's it's uh, amazing what they can do, and so we so we're not to respond to come back to uh, your question. It's not true that we are totally determined. We have. Uh, uh, you know, certain uh, capacity to uh, self-determine uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I think the, the, this is fair to say. I think the bottom line, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I understand you, free will is not free because it's going to require energy and effort to take control. Oh yeah, uh, and oh, yeah. To become mindful of <coughs> of what your what your your mind, your yes. brain, you know, what's going on up there. That's uh, yep. that's the bottom the bottom line, yeah. is it not? It is, because if you don't do that, then you're operating uh, like a robot, like a machine, and uh, you will be totally determined then. 
And unfortunately, today in our twenty-four-seven media ocracy, mm-hmm. yeah. the program you're going to act out is one that serves other people because that program, that propaganda, that has you've been inculcated it in such a way that mm-hmm. you don't even reason or think beyond it. Mm-hmm. That's my view. We're oh, yeah. glad you That's tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook and or drop me an email at Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's a great way for you to participate. Dr. Beauregard will be with us in this next half hour, and he will take your questions, so we'll take your phone calls. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. If you haven't yet read Mind Programming, you're in for a real awakening. Like the red pill, ignore the book at your own peril. Here's what author Angelina Hart had to say about the book. Mind Programming is a brilliant expose on how we've become unconsciously enslaved to that which we haven't understood. Eldon Taylor exposes and explodes the old world view of fear and lack that has generated direct and indirect manipulation of our minds without our awareness or permission. With well-earned insight, he offers proven pathways of self-empowerment that entrain our consciousness towards the model of unity and abundance that negates the survival paradigm. In a period when fear has reached a frenzied pitch, Taylor shines a brilliant spotlight to dispel the darkness. Get your copy today at fine bookstores everywhere or online from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by... Joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. We've been chatting with Dr. Mario Beauregard about his book, The Spiritual Brain, a neuroscientist case for the existence of the soul. In this half hour, we will take your calls. So if you have questions, give us a call or advance your comments and questions in our chat room. And remember, I love your feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook. So I invite you to join me there today. All right, Dr. Beauregard, we just played Imagine by John Lennon. Tell us, I bet I can guess, but why is this one important to you? And again, how does it tell us more about you, sir? Well, because I'm a deeply spiritual person, and um, so I've always dreamt about uh, a world of peace and uh, unity and harmony. And this, well, this is uh, the perfect song you know, to illustrate this, uh, this concept, this ideal. Uh, so this, this is why I selected uh, this, this song by John Lennon. I do so agree. It surprises me how many people, how many guests come to the show and and choose this song. And you oh, know, yeah. It's, oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about some other aspects of your book. Let's talk, for example, if we may, about the notion of self. In Huxley's perennial philosophy, we read, "Quote: The divine ground of all existence is a spiritual absolute." ineffable in terms of discursive thought, but susceptible of being experienced and realized by the human being. This absolute is the God without form of Hindu and Christian mystical phraseology. The last end of the man, the ultimate reason for human existence, is unitive knowledge of the divine ground, the knowledge that can come only to those who are prepared to die to self and so make room, as it were, for God. Tell us, sir, what is your understanding of self, and do we need to die to ourselves in order to make room for God? Well, this is... uh, I I told you at the beginning of the interview about uh, a number of spiritual experiences and some of them uh, involved were what we can call uh, cosmic consciousness. So it was a, a state where the, the little self, my little self, totally vanished, and I became one with uh, everything in the universe, including this underlying principle uh, at the origin of everything. Uh, so, I, so I agree with uh, the definition of uh, Oxley. Uh, and... Um, the the little self doesn't have to necessarily die forever, but at least it has to disappear for a while, and uh, that's what happens in these uh, these kinds of uh, uh, experiences. Uh, but when it reappears after that, usually it reappears, but with slight uh, changes. So it's it's never the same after that, and the, the the changes can be more important. It depends on the experiences and the experiencers as well um, so sometimes the, the the change may appear minute but at other times following these experience the changes can be very dramatic to the extent that you know the other people um, uh, surrounding this the individual the experiencer have tr- uh, trouble recognizing uh, the, the person so it depends and it can and this includes also the uh, the transcendent aspect of the uh, near-death experiences. Yeah, I've spoken to some trained meditators, 
genuinely spiritual people, in my view, who have suggested to me you don't need to go through an NDE to experience this sense of of oneness um, to lose yourself. And I know you've done you you've actually, as as you mentioned earlier, with the nuns, actually yeah. watched the brain where people have done years and years of meditation and you've made some discoveries in that area. Do two part question then. I'd like you to share with our audience those discoveries. Um just and but have have these people in your conversations, dialogues with them, have they indicated to you that they are experiencing or have experienced as a result of meditation the same kind of life-changing events that NDE experiencers uh, yeah. tell us about? In, some, in certain cases, yes, uh, we see the same kind of uh, change, dramatic change. Um, so it can... Um, occur uh, regardless of the type of meditation or contemplation. So, so it occurs in various uh, spiritual traditions, uh, whether uh, you know the, the Christian traditions or can be the Eastern traditions uh, as well. Um, but the people, you know, the, the meditators never know in, in advance that something like that is going to happen. So they don't they don't feel that they have any control over this process. So if you talk to, for instance, the uh, the, the Carmelite nuns with whom I've worked, uh, they will tell you that this is God's grace. You know, it's the product of divine grace. That's their perspective about this. If you talk to, um, you know, uh, people doing meditation in uh, Asia, they will tell you that these experiences can eventually occur to anybody, but with enough practice so you have to practice it's a different kind of uh, belief system about this uh, but what I've done in in my lab is that I've measured brain activity in various groups of people people doing meditation uh, Eastern meditations um, also nuns, uh, near-death experiencers and I discovered that uh, whenever somebody is experiencing an expanded state of consciousness and also a uh, a spiritual experience, there's a dramatic uh, slowing down in terms of brain waves, uh, and so the uh, the brains of these people are is uh, is producing a lot of very slow waves, like theta waves. Uh, their frequency ranges between four and seven hertz or cycle per second, and we see also some delta waves, very slow waves, um, and. The delta waves, you see them normally uh, during deep sleep and uh, also during coma. But uh, so, so people shouldn't be asleep when they, they produce such uh, types of uh, pattern, uh, EEG patterns. But uh, in nuns, for instance, and also in experienced meditators and also in near-death experiencers, we, we can see delta waves uh, when they are awake. And so based on this, I've developed a procedure to um, help people enter into expanded state of awareness and uh, to have uh, spiritual experiences. Because I was often asked by uh, journalists after my work with the, um, you know, with the nuns, for instance, or with monks and so on and so forth, how can we do to access the same states than these people? So uh, I devised uh, an approach and 
uh, it's very simple. When you insert, you embed uh, sounds within a soundtrack, for instance, uh, a music, a piece of music. If the frequency of these sounds uh, is similar to uh, slow waves in the brain, for instance, if the, their frequency is about four to seven hertz, it's the equivalent of theta waves. Mm-hmm. Then the uh, the the brain activity of the people who are listening to the music will become in sync with the frequency of these sounds, even though they are not consciously perceiving these sounds. And after usually 10 to 15 minutes, uh, they are in an expanded state of awareness. And in that expanded state of awareness, it's possible to guide them to have uh, spiritual experiences and to, uh, for instance, receive information with regard to um, all aspects of life, for instance. And I've done that since uh, about a year now. I've, said, I've tested nearly 100 people, in, uh, not only in Canada, but also in uh, certain parts of Europe. And uh, the results are very uh, robust and uh, consistent. And so uh, uh, the, the main explication for this is uh, uh, very simple. It's that normally our brains act as filters and they, they generate very uh, rapid waves, like presently, for instance. And so in that kind of state, it's very hard for uh, somebody to be in touch with uh, her spiritual side, uh, the spiritual world. And so in order to do this, you have to slow down the brain. And if you do this, then it's much more possible to be able to contact spiritual, uh, the spiritual world, spiritual realities or you know, uh, other types of entities, for instance. And that's, this is exactly what I'm seeing. And it also can be very powerful to, um, to free yourself from negative emotional patterns, for instance, or limitating uh, beliefs. Um, so th- th- this is a very interesting application of the kind of work I've been doing for uh, several years. Did you, uh, I mean, have you gone so far, have you created an audio program that has the subliminal entrainment frequencies on it? N- not subliminal, but the uh, I've created something, a soundtrack that uh, uh-huh. in which the, the sounds are embedded. Uh, I've done that, and uh, when you I say embedded, when you say embedded, I think subliminal. But you, uh, well, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, exactly, yeah. That, that's what it means, and the the, the p- people cannot detect that consciously, right. but uh, it, it's very powerful. Where can they get this soundtrack? Where could our listening audience get this soundtrack? Um, Do you make it available? Well, there's a company based in Montreal, and the uh, the, the they are now producing this thing, and. Um, if they go to uh, the the name of the website is uh, Ipnodio, so it's H I P N O D I O. So if you enter Ipnodio and my name, Dr. Mario Borgar, you will you will arrive there, and uh, you'll be able to uh, order the, the soundtrack. But what I discovered is that it's even more powerful. If uh, I'm guiding the uh, the people uh, during, uh, for instance, a workshop or individually, because it's possible in that kind of state, expanded state of awareness, to be guided. And for instance, if you want to work on, the, like I was saying before, on specifically on negative emotional patterns, it's it's possible to do this, and it's much more powerful at that level than if you do this kind of work at the level of the 
the usual uh, small self. That's what I discovered. Interesting. Very interesting. I've yeah. done a lot of work in subliminal area myself. <laughs> I, I've got a ton of questions here I want to ask you, <laughs> but I'm going to give a little bit of time to our chat okay. room yeah. and phone calls. Richard in the chat room says... Where is the forefront of the acceptance of this viewpoint? Who and where are people starting to accept this about non-material consciousness as a result of rational scientific thought and exploration? In the diffusion of innovation, where is the front line? Well, uh, last year uh, I co-organized a meeting at, in uh, Arizona, in Tucson, and um, a number of very distinguished famous scientists from various fields uh, uh, of research, they met over there, and after the uh, the meeting, which lasted a few days, we produced a document that has been called the uh, Manifesto for a Post-Materialist Science, and it's on the web. Uh, if you go to Campaign for Open Science, you will find this manifesto. And you will notice now that uh, it's been there for a number of months now, and we have over we have signatures from over a hundred scientists from uh, all over the world and from various fields of inquiry, and so it's getting, um, you know, it's uh, it's becoming more powerful. And um, now, uh, other scientists we see that that uh, you know, other scientists are willing to challenge openly, publicly, the mainstream paradigm. Well, because of that, you, you have. You know, we we see a lot of other scientists that are coming, uh, that are jumping in the bandwagon, and that are joining us uh, in this uh, movement within science. And so, uh, I'd say that uh, your your guests could, uh, your your um, uh, the people listening could uh, follow us at the campaign for open science, and the we're uh, you know. Uh, you know, keeping people informed of uh, all the uh, recent developments uh, with regard to the emergence of this new paradigm. Uh, there will be a book also that will be published uh, probably in 2016 about this emerging post-materialist paradigm. And uh, it's also about the implications for uh, spirituality and society uh, at large. And uh, uh, a few films, documentary films, that are actually being uh, filmed produced about this and so it's getting a lot of uh, you know energy and um, so I think this this is the forefront at this yeah. point in time and for all of you out there the Earl is open sciences.org and that's yeah. where you'll find campaign for open sciences right. yeah several of the guests that have been on this show are uh, endorsers participants uh, mm -hmm. you know founders or whatnot okay yeah. Uh, I'm going to date myself some here, but when I was at university, the wisdom insisted that brain cells began to die when we were in our 30s, and further mm -hmm. that these were the only cells in the body that couldn't replace themselves. I think we've learned differently today. Indeed, the brain seems to be amazingly redundant and capable of changing as a result of our thoughts and actions, such as the meditation you're talking about. We call it plasticity. Now, there's a meditation that... I understand is known as the 12 minute meditation. I'm sure you're aware of this one. It supposedly increases yeah. the gray matter, actually changes the wiring in the parietal lobe, uh, parietal lobe. Um, 
flesh out for us some of the changes that we could expect if we were to become mindful, begin to practice meditation, begin to take charge of our brain. What kinds of changes? And, and, and hey, correct my former psychology profs, will you? Uh, do brain cells just die and not replenish themselves? Not at all. No, no. But but we have believed that for over a hundred years uh, within the neuroscience community. It was another central or grand dogma of neuroscience. But uh, uh, during the last few decades, a number of studies have shown that this is not the case at all. That new neurons can be produced across the entire uh, lifespan. And so, if we take the case of meditation, for instance. Um, I, at least in my lab, I've done uh, a few studies about this. Um, if you're doing, uh, it was not 12 minutes, but in our case, uh, 20 minutes of meditation per day. And if you do that for only a few months, you will see uh, changes in terms of activity in regions of the brain that are associated with uh, attention, concentration, um, also uh, emotion regulation. And um, you can also see uh, structural changes. So the, the, the changes you were talking about uh, in terms of gray matter and white matter also. So so it's very, very quick. The brain will respond very quickly. And uh, this plasticity phenomenon, like I said, it's there for during the entire life. Uh, it's perhaps less uh, present if you're... 80 years old and if you're 20, but it's still present uh, throughout the uh, entire lifespan. Let me ask you this, Dr. Beauregard. I've seen some work that suggests that the spiritual experience is actually what alters the brain. Uh, that in and of itself, it can alter the brain, so, which would suggest that maybe someone who did undergo an NDE um, may well, uh, you know, appreciate some changes in their brain similar perhaps to those that a meditator would experience. Is there any truth to this in your experience? Well, I, I've measured that, but I didn't publish the, the results because I didn't have enough uh, data points. Uh, but I've seen that. I've seen that in people... I've seen changes in terms of the um, electrical activity of the brain and people who uh, underwent near-death experience following a, a cardiac arrest. But the problem uh, with that is that I didn't investigate these people before, the, uh, before their NDE. So the, the, this is why I didn't publish the... Uh, the so results. you have no but, pre and post for comparison. Yes, but, yes, unfortunately. But uh, I suspect that we uh, the same kind uh, of phenomenon is occurring than uh, with meditation, for instance. That's most interesting. Do you have anything planned where you can set up something with a cardiac care facility where, you know, I, maybe I, open heart patients? That'd be a good one because they know, you know, when their surgery is going to happen. It would give you the yeah. opportunity to do a pre. And then you could do the post following it. Not all open-heart patients are going to tell you that they had anything like an NDE, but some will. Well, I, I devised a project like this in uh, Montreal a few years ago. And um, it was at first accepted and uh, by the, uh, you know, the ethics uh, 
research board of uh-huh. the uh, hospital, and it was an hospital affiliated uh, with the University of Montreal. But after we started the project, after a few months, for unknown reasons, the project was stopped by the, uh, the director of the hospital, and they didn't give me any uh, reason for this. So that, this was very unfortunate. Um, but that was my plan, to, to do this. So, That's a shame. Yeah, so, so, but I've been approached by uh, Brazilian uh, doctors to do exactly the same thing. Uh, in Brazil, they are much more open uh, about this because uh, I think 30% of the doctors over there are uh, spiritists. They belong to the, uh, the spirit church. They are spiritualists. Right. Yeah, right. So, so they, they are more open-minded uh, about uh, the, these issues. John of God country. All right. Well, we're out of time, and I want everybody to know how they can reach you, learn more about you, attend a, you know, a seminar, get your book. So please take 30 seconds and give us the best commercial you can, sir. <laughs> well, they can go to uh, my website. So the uh, URL is uh, it's Dr. Mario Borga in one word, dot com. And they, call, they can also consult my uh, Facebook page, professional page. Uh, I, on this page, I, uh, I talk about uh, my various uh, research and professional activities, including uh, workshops and lectures and so on and so forth. And the book. Again, we've been talking about The Spiritual Brain, A Neuroscientist Case for the Existence of the Soul, and it is a great read. I want to thank you for your work and your willingness to share so openly with us, Dr. Beauregard. Mm -hmm. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guest again and all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember... If you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.